This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Hi, this is Jamar Tisby, president of The Witness, with our continuing coverage of the MLK 50 events in Memphis, Tennessee, commemorating the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. I met up with Wendy C. Thomas. She is the leader of MLK 50, Justice Through Journalism. I've been following Wendy for over a year now, looking at her work in Memphis, particularly on labor and wages. She's a staunch advocate of a living wage, and so she talks a little bit about her work with MLK 50, as well as some of her critiques of evangelicalism when it comes to justice and poverty. We very much enjoyed talking to Miss Thomas, thanked her for her time, and hope that you will follow her. Check out her work on MLK50.com. And we are here with Wendy C. Thomas of MLK 50, uh, Justice Through Journalism. Miss um, Thomas, would you tell us a little bit about your work in Memphis? So I am the editor and publisher of MLK50.com. It's a year-long nonprofit journalism project focused on economic justice. So we timed it to the anniversary of Dr. King's death. Now, you have a focus on economic justice. There were there are a lot of justice issues you could focus on. How did this particular issue rise to the fore for you? So when King came to Memphis, he came in support of low-wage workers, and um, particularly sanitation workers. They were all black, and they were all being underpaid by the city. And so King was focused on the Poor People's Campaign at the last years of his life, and it seemed appropriate in this moment to amplify those issues, jobs and wages. Now, you also have done on-the-ground sort of grassroots research uh, looking at the top 25 employers in Memphis. Can you tell us about that work? Yesterday on our site, we published the results of a living wage survey. We looked at the 25 largest employers in the Memphis area. Collectively, they employ about 160,000 workers. And our question was simple. Do you pay your workers enough to live on? Um and some companies do. International Paper does. The Shelby County Schools here has made a commitment to raise um, all of the pay to at least $15 an hour. Um, but then we had a lot of companies that just refused to respond to the survey at all. Mm. We reached out to them, you know, probably a half a dozen times, and it was just crickets. And so it's kind of disappointing that as we mark this moment for um, a man who was so focused on jobs and wages that these companies won't even say how much they pay their workers. And I think that when they don't say – it's because they're not proud of what the answer would be ah. and that they you know, likely have something to hide. Right. Now, you mentioned $15 as a living wage. What is a living wage? Why $15? So the Fight for 15 campaign has set um, kind of a basic demand for $15 in a union. The way they come up with that figure is it's the distance between – midway point between seven twenty-five an hour, which is the federal minimum wage, mm-hmm. and $22 an hour, which is what wages would be if they'd kept – um, pace with productivity. Mm-hmm. So not inflation, but productivity. So you have companies' produ- productivity going up as- astronomically, sure. but the workers aren't sharing in that. And it's the workers that add the value to the company. Without them, they're, they're nothing. 
Now, I've heard a critique, and I want to see how you respond, that if you raise the minimum wage to the living wage of $15, as, as you're talking about, then employers won't be able to hire as many people. And so you have more unemployed, or it's going to cost companies more to pay their workers. And so that's going to result in less profits. And, and, and basically what these folks are saying is that it actually works against what folks are trying to achieve with a living wage. How would you respond? So paying uh, workers a living wage will cost companies more, and it may mean that they don't profit as much, but it doesn't mean they're not going to profit. If you look at a company like McDonald's, for example, um, where make workers are making you know barely more than minimum wage, there is enough money to pay everyone a living wage and for companies to make some profit. Now, if you look at King and what he said about capitalism, he was brutally critical of capitalism. And he said that, you know, capitalism is built on the exploitation of workers. He was very clear about that. And so I think there's a, um, we don't have to go with the framework that it's an either or. Either the companies make obscene profits um, or we have to keep wages the way they are. That's a false dichotomy that I, I just reject. And you gave some examples of how you personally try to live out um, the fact to try to try to make sure people are getting a living wage, even if their employer is not giving them. Can you give us some examples? Yeah. So it's it's a very small thing. Right. But I want to be a part of the solution and, and part of the problem and live out my beliefs. So. For example, um, there's a sushi restaurant that I go to all the time, and there's a server that I always ask for if I'm there. Patrell, he hears this, Patrell, <laughs> hey. Um, and so if I'm there for 45 minutes during lunch, I will tip enough to make sure that he's making $15 an hour. So sometimes uh, my tab may only be $13, but if I have the money, you know, I'll leave him a $20 tip. Mm. So I can guarantee that in that moment, in that time, mm. he's making um, – at least $15 an hour. And everybody can't do that. And I certainly can't do that all the all time. The and this time. may be like a once or twice a month kind of thing, but sure. it's just one way to say that um, labor is valued. You know, mm. the service he provides to me at the sushi restaurant is there's a value to that. Absolutely. Um, and I can afford to pay a little bit more. And all of us, if you're going out to eat, set aside enough money to tip people well. You know, tipped mm. employees only make two thirteen an hour, and the assumption is that their tips will make up for that. Wow. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Wow. Um, and that's just a very, very small thing. My The guy who cuts my yard, same thing, making sure that's at least $15 an hour. Um, I have gone into restaurants and businesses and asked them, how much do you pay your workers? Hmm. Um, it's not necessarily a conversation that we're comfortable having, and we certainly haven't been trained to have that. Right. But um, even if we look at what some of the biblical commands are for, you know, em employers to treat their workers well and to not steal their wages. Uh -huh. um, I don't think that morally or as a society, we have any defense to pay workers so little. Mm. I love those very practical examples that you can go out right now and start practicing. Absolutely. You had, I thought, a very incisive um, critique, admonition for uh, evangelicals when it comes to justice. Can you talk about that some? Right. So let me be specific when I talk about evangelicals. It's really primarily white evangelicals. Mm -hmm. And I think that that um, specificity of language is important, right, yes. and to not lump everybody in together. But from where I sit in a city that is very churchy, you know, um, very Jesus-y, you know, there is this narrative that the way God blesses you is with wealth. And if you don't have wealth, that is a sign of your personal failing uh, your flaws or what have you. And so you see this, you know, pop up in prosperity gospel um, and just a real cruelness toward the poor. 
and I think it's unfortunate the ways in which evangelical Christians have aligned themselves with um, hard right conservatives to try to undermine all the safety nets that we've created as a society for um, people who are experiencing poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, decidedly anti-Jesus, right? You, you cannot, and I'm not, I'm not part of a faith tradition, um, but I grew up in church, grew up in Assemblies of God Church, and mm-hmm. so I know what the Word says about poverty, and I know uh, what the Bible commands are um, about the poor. And there, there's that one scripture everyone used, you know, the poor you will have with you always. But if you read that in context, All right. what it's saying is that if you do not do these things, the poor you will have with you always. But often that snippet is used to defend um, and excuse our uh, responsibility for doing anything different, right? right? So if the Bible says the poor will always be there, then what do I have to do? I don't have to do anything. Yeah, just... um, and we're not absolved of that responsibility to to care for each other um, in, in a society, whether you're in a faith tradition or not. So what would you advocate as far as change if, you know, you come from a white evangelical background with that's your view of justice and poverty? Um, so I would, I would read your word, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I would... Um, Spend time in relationship with people who are made poor. If you listen to what uh, Reverend William Barber, who's mm. you know founded this new Poor People's Campaign, says, you know one of the great, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but one of the Greek words for poor is being um, being made poor. So that means there's an actor who is creating this condition. Mm. So I think um, people of all faith can ask themselves, Am I that actor? Um, if you're a member of a of a faith community, does your uh, temple, synagogue, um, church, pay their workers mm. a living wage. Um, if you're an employer and you attend one of these, um, you know, faith communities, uh, do you pay your workers a living wage? And I think having those hard conversations with yourself and people you're in community with about the ways in which you you um, sustain and maintain systems of exploitation is a tough thing to do, but... Um, no, no one said it was going to be easy, right? That's right. That's right. And just uh, as we wrap here, how can listeners uh, learn more about your work, access your writing, all those kinds of things? Right. So um, follow us on Twitter, my journalism project at MLK50 Memphis. Um, follow me on Twitter at Wendy, W-E-N-D-I underscore C underscore Thomas. Um, and follow our work on um, our website at MLK50.com. Thank you so much for your time. This has been really helpful and informative. Thank you. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com CT.